Well, if you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to be back in the book of 1 John in chapter 2. Tonight we're going to be looking at um, verses 7 through 11. And let's go ahead and read that, and we're going to ask God's blessing upon it. It says this, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one you have heard from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another. It's the same message you heard before, yet it's also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you are also living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble, but anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness, and such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness." Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you so much again just for this day and for this, um, this place that we can worship in, Lord God, the fact that we can be together as brothers and sisters in Christ, through Christ, to come here to um, praise you, to, to learn your word, Father, to encourage and build one another up. God, what a blessing the church is. God, I am so thankful, Father, that, that you have gifted us um, the church. And, and tonight, God, we have come here um, to, to hear you, um, Father, the people didn't come to hear me, they come to hear you. And so I just pray, God, that you would speak tonight through your word. And maybe my lips moving, but God, I pray that you would speak. And I pray that you would just remove any hindrances from this place, Father. Um, the evil one has no place here, God, because where you are, there's no place for him. And so we welcome you in this place and, and pray that you would remove distractions from our minds and we can focus on you for these next moments, God. Um, through this time, receive all the glory and honor and praise. And we ask this in Jesus' precious, mighty name. Amen. So, you know, when it comes to life and the things of this world, you know, there are many, many incredible things that we get to experience, but can I tell you something? All of them pale in comparison to one thing, and that's what we get to experience through a relationship with Jesus Christ and with our Heavenly Father because of what Christ has done. You know, that experience that we to take part in as Christians um, is, is amazing. There, there's nothing greater, there's nothing more satisfying there's nothing more fulfilling than getting to walk with Jesus. You know, a few weeks ago we started this book of, of 1 John, and, and I titled this series the, the Blessing of Walking in the Light and Love of God. And you know, the truth is, when it comes to our relationship with God, there are so many incredible things that are available to us as His children. He offers comfort in times of sorrow. He offers peace in times of tribulation and trial. He offers hope when things around us seem hopeless. He offers wisdom to guide us when we need wisdom. He offers strength to help us accomplish the task that He's called us to do. He gives us His provision so that we have all we need. He gives us His protection in our lives, when the enemy attacks, he offers his unconditional, unfathomable, unmatched love to all of us. All of this is available through a relationship with Jesus Christ, which gives us access to our Heavenly Father. And if you are a child of God, all of that and so much more is available to you. But what's available by God's children isn't always experienced. 
What's available can only be experienced, as we've learned in this book, as we walk in close fellowship with the Lord. This book of 1 John describes this fellowship as us walking in the light. Uh, what does it mean to walk in the light? It means for us to abide in Christ, to, to stay close to Him, to remain in, in constant connection with the Lord at all times. And I've, I described this, this kind of picture imagery that in my head, I, I can't think of it any different than this, but picturing God here in a light that surrounds Him. And as we're in close proximity with the Lord, where we're in that light and we get to experience all that He has to offer us, and yet... When we sin as Christians, we, we lose that, that relationship, that, that fellowship with Him that He wants. It's, it's, again, not a salvation issue. It's not that we are no longer saved, but we're no longer experiencing all that Christ has to offer us when we are close to Him. How, how do we stay close to Him? As 1 John 2, 6 said, we need to live our lives as Jesus lived His. That's, that's, a, that's a tough one to do, isn't it? Yeah, that's a pretty high bar, and yet that's what the call is on our lives. How did Jesus live? Well, one thing he did, he, he lived his life in absolute, continual dependence upon his Father's strength. He always spent time in prayer, always spent time talking to his Father, absolutely reliant upon him. And because of that, Jesus lived righteously. He obeyed every command, every, every principle of, of God's Word perfectly, rejected sin at every turn. And in doing so, not only obeyed the, the letter of God's law, but even the heart, the principles behind it. And what Jesus exemplified in his life is exactly what we're called to do. The example that he showed us in his life that we can read about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, that's our example to follow as God's people. Now, are we going to mess up? Sure. But even God in his grace gave us a way back in. You know, as we sin and step out of that light, we, we learned here a couple weeks ago in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, He's what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All that spiritual darkness that we accumulate because of sin, He wipes it clean, pulls us right back to His side. What an incredible God we serve. And as we choose to live our lives according to these things, we, we find ourselves experiencing more and more of what God has to offer us. The more we walk in this light and in this fellowship, the more of Him we get to experience. But as we're going to see today, this idea of walking in the light of in the love of God isn't. It's not only about what we get to experience personally. It's also a call on our lives. It's great to walk in the light of God so we can experience God, but we're also to call to walk in the light and show God's love. Not just receive God's love, not just to get experience God's love personally, but through our lives, people around us get to experience the love of God as well. And that's really the focus of what today's message is going to be about. See, the title of the series really has kind of two sides on it. One's what we get to receive, and the other is an action that God is calling us to do as his people. Now, as we're going to see today, one of those requirements is, as I said, showing love to the people around us. Now, oftentimes when we think about requirements, one reaction could be like, well, golly, the Bible's got all kinds of requirements, so now we get to talk about one more, huh? 
Um, and, and a hard one, too, because being nice to people all the time, loving people all the time, who, who knows that's not always easy. Sometimes uh, loving people becomes um, a great challenge because some people aren't very lovable, and then sometimes we are that person, aren't we? Um, sometimes we're not very lovable, and yet it's still exactly what God has called us to do. But, but in all seriousness, one question that I want to think about and, uh, as we think about this tonight is this. Is John really adding a requirement for our lives, or is he simplifying the Christian life? And really the answer is the latter. He's simplifying the Christian life of what he's talking about here tonight. Now, again, we we can agree when it comes to the Bible, there's lots of commands, lots of principles in it, but, but how awesome would it be if you could sum it all up into one thing, to one idea that like this huge book with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages, tens of thousands of words, what if you could sum all of it up with one statement? Wouldn't that be cool? Well, the fact is we can. Love one another. Say, wow, that's, that's pretty easy, right? Well, sort of. But that's kind of what we're going to be talking about here today. Now, the whole focus of what John says here today is simplifying this statement in verse 6, which is we're supposed to live our lives as Jesus lived. Now, there's a lot of words that can describe Jesus' life, but above them all is love. Because all the things that Jesus did, love was the root of every bit of it. His love, first of all, for his Father in heaven. And then his love for us. Love was the motivation for everything that Jesus did, everything that Christ accomplished in this earth. John 15 and verse 13 tells us, tells us this, that there is no greater love than to lay one's life down for his friend. Jesus demonstrated the most incredible love that's ever been shown. And that's exactly what we're called to do as well. So let's look at verse 7, and we'll kind of break this down. He says again, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new command for you. Rather, it's an old one that you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard from before. Now, loving one another has been a basic principle pretty much for as long as people have been around. By the the time people would have gotten this letter from John, this command to love your neighbor is a command that literally um, had become a formal command of God and the law of God that had been around literally for centuries at this time. First spoken clear back in chapter 19 of Leviticus in verse 18 where this was written, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So when John says here that this was an old command, he literally meant it was an old command. I mean, it had been a principle since the beginning of time, but it was a literal command at this time for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Somewhere between 15 and 1,800 years since this command had been given. And yet, he says there in verse 8, it's also new. So the question is, is how can it be an old command and at the same time be a new command at this particular time? Well, up to this point, basically, and in, in, in especially among the Jews, this idea to love your neighbor was really a law among laws, if that makes sense. They, they, I mean, literally, it was, it was hundreds of laws in the Old Testament that they were called to follow, the, the do's and the don'ts, right? And they just kind of added this one to it. They didn't elevate it above the rest. They pretty much just added this one to it. 
And yet, John says here that is actually something that is new. So the question we need to ask then is what does he mean by new? Is it really a new command or is he asking them just maybe to look at this old command with new eyes? Look at this old command maybe with a new perspective from what they had seen it or thought about it before. And I really believe it's the latter. Um, Now, we think about this idea of, of loving God, loving our neighbor as ourselves. When we think about all the, the laws and, and the commandments of Scripture, and way back in, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40, um, Jesus was tested, it says, by these teachers, by the, the teachers of, of religious law of the Pharisees. And they came to him in, in this verse and they said, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in all the law of Moses? And this, was, this is how Jesus answered. He says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. To love God and to love people. And so the, the Jews in their mind at this time had all of these laws and, and they held them all, right? And yet Jesus said that all of these laws can be summed up in the two things. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's just interesting when you look at the Ten Commandments, which kind of is the, 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 the condensed form of the, whole, of the law, that the, the first four have to do with our relationship with God. It shows us in how to display our love and affection to God. But the rest of them, 5 through 10, are all about our relationship with people. It's how we show the love of God to the people around us. So Jesus sums up all of them in these two things. But here's what's interesting. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote in two different places something similar to what Jesus said, and yet he, he revised it a little bit. For instance, in Romans 13 and verse 80, it says this, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Interesting. Galatians 5.14, the whole law can be summed up in this one command to love your neighbor as yourself. So the question we have to ask is this, how is the law summed up in that one command? Because Jesus said the first and greatest is love God and then love people, and then Paul comes back and says, all of them are summed up into this one, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, is this a contradiction, or is this something else? Well, this is something else. So the question we need to ask is this. Directly related to those verses and what John's talking about here. What is the greatest way that we display our love to our Father in heaven? And the answer to that is by how we live our life and love the people around us. So when, when Paul says that all the laws and the commands are summed up and love your neighbor as yourself, here's what he's saying. He's saying the only way we can truly love our neighbor as ourselves, the way we're supposed to, is if this relationship's right. If we're loving God the way we're supposed to and we're, and we're in right relationship with him. And as that happens, the love of God comes down and we become a, a, a conduit that his love flows out of to the people around us. And when that happens, literally all the law, all the commandments of scripture are literally fulfilled. Because when this relationship's right, Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 through 23, known as what the, the fruit of the spirit comes to take place. That, that fruit of the Holy Spirit 
leading our lives. Remember Galatians right before this in chapter 5? So let the Holy Spirit guide your lives so that you're not doing what the sinful nature craves. When we allow him to lead us and guide us and control our lives, the natural outpouring of that is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And it says, with these things there are no law against those things. Meaning that when the Spirit's leading and guiding our lives truly, we are by our very nature at that point accomplishing all of the commands and principles in the entire Bible. Isn't that amazing? And so what he's saying here is that, yes, it's an old command, but you need to see it from a completely different perspective because this one command sums it all up when understood properly. It's the focus of all God's law. And he says there in verse 8, the second part of verse 8, he says, Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you're also living it. So he, he gives these people some commendation here. He says, look, you guys are doing a fantastic job at following this. And, but, but he says that, that this new command, I'm telling you, Jesus personified in his life. Now, Jesus said in John um, 13 and verse 34, he told his disciple this. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. He says, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love one another. And so that's really where John gets this in this book of 1 John. It's, it's really from that moment that he was with Jesus. And, and, and I'm sure in their minds, when Jesus said this, well, I'm giving you a new commandment to, to love one another. I mean, that's already in there. And, and, and yet, Jesus spoke it from a different perspective because they got to see it with their eyes. They, they saw it in the life of Christ and all that he did. And we think about how Jesus displayed love to people through his life. I mean, golly, he, he showed people compassion and mercy and grace. He'd never hold, he never held people's past against them. He, he showed people forgiveness and patience and kindness. He was generous. He was giving. He sacrificed his comfort, his wants, his needs for the sake of others. Does that sound strikingly familiar to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter? Love is patient, love is kind, that, that whole thing. Jesus personified all of it in his life. And so John says, this new command I'm telling you, if you want to know what that looks like, look at Jesus. That's our call. Live like him. Every aspect of Christ's life exemplified what love looked like. And it's exactly what we're called to do as his people. Now the question is, is can we do it? Yeah. You know, we, we looked at here a couple weeks ago, as we started verse two, chapter 2 here, in verse 1, he says, I'm writing you so you will not sin, remember? And we talked about how it, it, it is possible, not super probable because we're flawed, but it's possible that we don't sin. Like, we could go through our life and live completely righteously because we have the Spirit of God living in us. We have all the power and all the strength and all the knowledge we need to live like we're supposed to live. But it takes something, right? It takes us surrendering, or surrendering ourselves to the Lord constantly every moment of every day. And, and so this is possible. But when he says here this is a new command, it's not, just, it's not just new in the sense that he wanted them to have a different understanding of it. It's new in the sense that it wasn't until after Christ what he did that it was made possible for us to live like this. See, before Christ came and lived and went to the cross and died and rose again and, and made salvation possible, people by their very nature, the Bible said, sinned because that's who they were. People controlled by the sinful nature. They couldn't obey 
this command. And so it was new in the sense of, yes, a different understanding, but also new because for the first time after Christ did what he did, people that came to faith in him now had the power of the living God in them through the Holy Spirit, and they could actually live this out in their lives. They could literally show people the love of God for the first time. And what's the result of this? Look at the, second, the last part of verse 8 there. He says, For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. What does this mean? John is referring here to a complete new reality in the world because of what Christ has done. The darkness began to disappear because the light had come. Now, way back in the book of Matthew, in chapter 4 and verse 16, this was written, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. Who do you think that light was talking about? Christ. When he came as a baby upon that earth, the light came in the midst of incredible, incredible darkness. For the first time in history, God in human form came and stood foot upon the earth. Now what did that light do? It exposed the darkness. It exposed, because what does light do? Light literally exposes darkness. Like if this was pitch black in here, you can't see your face. One candle exposes the darkness, everything that's hidden. And so it says here that the darkness is disappearing, meaning it's, it isn't gone, right? At least at this time, still isn't today. I think we could, that's pretty obvious that the darkness isn't gone, but it is disappearing. So the question we have to ask is, how is it disappearing? Because the answer is this, every person who crosses from darkness to light is one more person to shine a light in the darkness. Who knows there's still some corners, there's still some shadows in our world. There's still some places that, 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 that we need to have light in the midst of the darkness. And, and every single person who in faith trusts Christ as their Lord and Savior, they become a light. They're standing in the light so they should glow. Remember when Moses came off the, the mountain and he was, he was glowing because he was in the presence of the Lord? A beautiful picture of what we should be. I mean, maybe not literally glowing like his face was glowing where we have to have a veil over a face, but the idea is we should be shining the light of Christ, displaying his love, displaying his character so perfectly in our lives that people literally see Jesus in us. And as they do, people turn in faith to him, and guess what? You add another light. You know, listen to um, Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. Paul was speaking here about his call he received from Christ on the road to Damascus. And he says this in verse 17. He says, And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people that this whole idea when person gives their faith to christ they pass from spiritual darkness into the light of god now what happens so it says here that the the darkness is disappearing meaning it's an ongoing action that has been taking place throughout the course of time now you think about this jesus was the first light and then there were 12 and then you get to the book of acts and there's thousands and you spread it out a little longer in the books of Acts, and you're talking tens of thousands to millions till they turn the world upside down. Fast forward a couple thousand years, and there are billions of Christians alive today. Friends, there's still hope in this world because we're still here. 
Now, if this room was dark, pitch dark, and I lit a candle, you, you could see, right? But what would happen if Donna lit a candle, and Cassie lit a candle, and Tyler lit a candle, and Doug, and Phil, and Marion, and Dan, and Michelle? What if we all started lighting candles? What happens? It gets brighter, and brighter, and brighter. What, those things that are, that are over there in the corner are a little bit dark, guess what? Light begins to shine upon those things. That's what he's talking about here. The more we as Christians shine the light, the more the darkness has to flee. We want the darkness in this world to flee. Guess who it's up to? You and me. Now, as we get into verse 9, we really see the importance of this command when it comes to our relationship with people. He says here in verse 9, If anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is actually still living in darkness. Now, hate here is a pretty strong word, right? But it's used intentionally, and so we should ask, what does he mean by this word hate? And I believe there's two aspects of this. One is in a literal sense, like in a direct sense, like if somebody has emotional, hateful feelings, feelings of malice towards a brother or sister in Christ, towards people. Obviously, that's wrong. If, if we have uh, like malice in our heart, obviously we're in sin, not in that circle of light, right? Because we have sin in our lives. But I really believe this is also indirect in nature. And this is what I mean. If I'm living my life, if I'm supposed to be a light, right, and if, if people in my life depend upon me to, to do what I'm supposed to do as a Christian, to be the man I'm supposed to be, to be living the way I'm supposed to be living, because we're connected, right, as the body of Christ. Christ is the head, we're everything else. We're connected. Every, it says there in Corinthians that when every part does its when every piece does its part, we, there's, there's growth in the body, right? And so we're, we're all connected. We all have responsibility. But what if I choose not to do my part? Or what if, say, I, I start choosing to live my life in a way that is sinful? You could say very easily that I'm completely disregarding my responsibility to you. And that's an act of hatred or malice towards people. When, when I'm not living my life the way that I'm supposed to, it's an act of hatred toward the people that God has placed in my life. And so when he says that if we hate them, it's spiritual darkness. It's, it's both direct and indirect, I believe. Now look, look, look at verses 10 and 11. He says, anyone who hates a fellow believer is living in the light, or excuse me, everyone, anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and what? Does not cause others to stumble. And I want to focus on that one just for, just for a moment here. Now, what removes us from the light of God? Sin, right? Now, in direct hate, if I'm directly hating a Christian, malice toward them, I'm mean to them, I'm ugly toward them, do you think that's going to have a positive or a negative effect in their relationship with God? Obviously a negative. In fact, it could be so negative that it could sour them and turn them away from God completely so that they themselves are no longer in the light of God and no longer experiencing the goodness of God. Or, again, if I'm living my life in a sinful manner, not considering the people around me, and through my life, I cause another to stumble into sin. Again, they're removed from the presence of all that God has to offer and are walking in spiritual darkness because of me. 
If I'm not loving people rightly, I become a stumbling block for the people in my life that God has placed. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that guy. Our lives have a direct impact on the Christians around us. What we do, how we live, will largely determine how much of God other Christians get to experience. You catch that? As, as we look around at, we are the Christians in one another's lives. And what I do affects you. What you do affects the person sitting to your left and to your right, in front and behind. We're connected as the body of Christ. And depending on how close I walk with the Lord will affect how closely, guess what? You get to walk with the Lord. It's a serious deal. We need to choose to love one another. This not only affects Christians, but it also affects those who are not Christians. Think about the importance of showing the love of God in our lives. Jesus said this in John 13, verses 34 to 35. He says, I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. We just talked about this. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love one another. And then he goes on to say this in verse 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So those people that aren't yet in the church, those people that aren't yet Christians, have never placed their faith in Jesus, guess who they're dependent upon? You and me. And before they will listen to our words about Jesus, they need to see Jesus before they're going to take us seriously. Remember we talked about Matthew 5 just, just weeks ago, right? As we went through the Sermon on the Mount. What's our job as Christians? To be the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. He said no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. No, the purpose of a lamp, you put it on top of a light stand. Why? So it gives light to everybody in the room. And then in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, In the same way, let your light so shine that people will see it and then turn and glorify your Father in heaven. Our job as Christians is to shine the light of Christ, not just to one another, but to the world. That's our job. And if we're living in darkness, it's something that we cannot do properly. Matthew 5 says that the way the world is going to be turned from darkness to light is when God's people begin to walk in the light. And John says here that, that what that is determined by is how we show God's love to one another. How is that displayed both directly and indirectly? Directly in the sense of how we treat people, right? Are we loving others the way Jesus showed his love for us? Think about this. Think about the love that we were shown. Christ showed it as a, a love that was completely undeserved, completely unmerited. Let's, let's face it, the people around us, including me, you don't owe me anything. I don't deserve nothing. None of us do. But guess what? Jesus loved us anyways. And that's our call to love people. It doesn't matter how worthy we are of love. Or your neighbor, it doesn't matter. We're called to display the love that we were given. Guess what Jesus did? He looked past our faults. Jesus understood that we have a weakness that comes from our sinful nature. 
That's what we're called to do. Whenever we're dealing with the people around us, we need to remember that, guess what? They have faults too, just like we do. They, they got a sinful nature. They struggle. Their struggle may look different than mine, but you know what? They, they struggle all the same, and I need to keep that in mind because that's what Christ has done for me. Guess what Jesus also did? He forgave us completely. I mean, he, he didn't hold it back here and, and use it to, you know, to put back in our face later on when it, at, at an opportune time. No. He cast it as far as east as from the west, and he remembers it no more. That's our call. Jesus' love sought to transform our lives. That's our focus as well. Why do we love? Yes, because we love him, because we, but because we want the people around us to experience more of God. And the more we show God's love, the more we live, in our, live our lives in a way that displays God's love, the more people around us are going to experience God's love. The more they're going to grow in faith and their trust in him. That's what Jesus did for us. That was the purpose of his love. That should be the purpose of our love. Guess what else he did? He demonstrated sacrifice and selfless for whose, selflessness for whose benefit? For ours. That's our call. To walk a, a sacrificial, selfless life for the benefit of others. And what happened? That love, friends, not only changed me and not only changed you, it's changed the world. It's changed our life forever. And that is our call as God's people. As we begin to show this love to one another and expand that love to the people around us, our community, our state, our nation, our world, guess what happens? The light, one by one, Switch comes on, switch comes on, let our candles lit, and the world begins to glow brighter and brighter and brighter. Spiritual darkness to spiritual light, because God's people are walking in the love of God. Amen? Let's do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, for your word, for this time, for the challenge, Lord God, for the encouragement that comes from um, this, these verses today. Father, I'm encouraged because, God, you displayed it through Christ. You showed us what it looks like, and you gave us the power to do it. And yet, Father, I'm challenged because, God, I, I know that I am weak. It's a struggle, Lord God, to, to live for you. It's a struggle to reject sin. It's a struggle to walk in light. Lord, it's a struggle to love people sometimes. So I'm challenged. And so, God, what do we do with that? Father, we need to walk in dependence upon you just like Jesus did because it's the only way. God, grant us the grace to walk in dependence upon you, trusting in you to move our, um, our, our every move, Lord God, to, to, to play, play, place our foot every step we take. We trust you to lead us. We trust you to guide us. And through that, Lord God, let us make a difference, not only here in this place, but outside these walls as well for you. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we close, we're going to sing a, a song of just, of just response. You know, this is what the invitation is all about. It's us responding to God's word. Um, and this song is all about building our life upon God's love and then showing that love to those around us. So let's stand together and sing.